0: Welcome back to the color Exchange by Medtronic. Please enjoy today's episode. So, what I noticed during my visits to the different ORs in the US, uh, it's more commonly that people use single vein grafts. To in Europe, there's a lot of jump grafts, Um, and probably the let's say the single vein grafts are a little bit better in this regard. Don't you agree? If you make a jump graft, it would be harder to really make sure that it's not. Um in contact with the left HL open its clip. Do you agree?
1: I think you have a little more widely you have a wider flexibility on where the graph lies. Yeah. If it's a single arm graft as opposed to a sequential graph. I I agree.
0: Yeah. So what do you do, Kelly? Do you use jump graphs or single vein graphs?
1: I I do both, but I
2: commonly in that situation would do a single just yeah. to be able to control it better. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely concerned about that yeah. um, with the current technology that's available. But I, I do do sequentials, probably not as much as I know Europe is famed for the around-the-world <laughs> <laughs> right. configuration. I I don't do a lot of that.
0: Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, the maximum, I think uh, one of my colleagues said seven with one vein grass. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> a little bit much. But, uh, uh, Jeff... Um, Anything with sequential grafts or a Y-graft with a memory artery and a and, and, and RIMA is... is...
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think we know that a LIMA to LED is what makes you survive after heart surgery. So I don't do anything that could potentially compromise that. So I usually put the lema to the LED nothing comes off of it. Uh, that's a single bypass. And I don't like Y-graphs. You know, when we were studying off-pump versus on-pump and doing a lot of casts and CTAs, one of the things that stuck out to me was that um, the incidence of early graft failure in both on and off pump was 20, 25% in several large clinical trials. So if I'm going to lose one distal, you're going to lose three distals if you have a jump graft. So if my patient has enough vein, I'm going to do individual vein grafts or we've been using a lot of radial artery as well uh, yeah. to each, each distal.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Now. um, the other piece of the puzzle is the, the trials uh, around left atrial appendage management and occlusion of it. Um, and, you know, surgeries are often criticized for not running trials, but I think they're important studies now, especially the LEAPS trial, which is still unrolling, will give us an answer whether, you know, you need to occlude the left atrial appendage uh, during open heart surgery, irrespective of whether the patient has had AFib or not. Um Anybody here enrolling in the leaps trial? Greg, you're you're yes, enrolling? Yes, yeah.
1: we're we're a part of the leaps trial, we're enrolling in the leaps trial. Um, and so I agree with you. I think it's gonna be an important question that I think we all I think we know the answer to. I think this has a high probability of being a positive trial. Uh we won't know until the data is analyzed and it's looked at, right? But um but I agree. I think that that it is uh, it's going to be a, a, an important trial, especially for surgeons to answer some of the questions you were talking about earlier with our cardiologists who are, are asking, right? They're asking for it. Um, uh, to be honest with you, the most common question I get from the patients is, do I have to be randomized? Can't I just yeah. That's the most common question that we've had in our in our, our study so far from the patients. That yep. It just makes sense to them, right? That that if it works for AFib, why doesn't it work for people without AFib? Exactly. It's
2: yeah. it's interesting because that's also our experience. We're we're also enrolling in the leaps trial, and and that is exactly the number one thing. And actually, you know, we've had a fair number of people decline the trial when they can't say for sure that they're gonna get the clip. I think it's important to remember that this trial is designed for people that are high risk for stroke. So high chas scores, you know, older people, et cetera. So it still isn't going to answer the question of should every patient that gets cardiac surgery get a clip? But it's definitely, um, I think, well designed in that it's got uh, risk factors that certainly if those people are high risk for, you know, developing AFib, and high risk for having strokes, then they're likely going to be the ones that benefit. And I think the new AFib guidelines that just came out are sort of commensurate with that, in that they're looking at, you know, AFib now as a continuum of disease and looking at, you know, the beginning of it from with risk factors moving forward to the phase where they're actually in AFib, but the the process of developing AFib likely happens decades before.
0: Yeah, and of course the major advantage of getting a clip is that you don't need to anticoagulate. Um, hopefully, so so Jeff, any protocol that you are having, so a patient comes with a FIP, you do an ablation, patient gets into sinus rhythm, and you and you uh, clip the left atrial appendage.
3: Does that patient still need anticoagulation? That's a great question. I was hoping you weren't going to ask me. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that, and I, I don't. I don't think we know the answer to that. I I personally leave them on anticoagulation and tell them it'll be up to their cardiologist or their EP cardiologist, whether or not they stop their anticoagulation. As you know, uh, we you can get thrombus in other areas of the left atrium and other areas of the heart with atrial fibrillation. So just because we've ligated the left atrial appendage, it doesn't necessarily mean we've eliminated their burden for clot and possible thromboembolic stroke. So I, I generally leave them on. I don't think we know the answer to that, but it's a great question. Right.
0: Yeah. And and then maybe to Greg, so what kind of anticoagulation do you uh, recommend?
1: So, um, I, you know, I agree with Dr. Miller. I think that most of my patients I leave on anticoagulation. I think that there are some rough, uh, not guidelines, but, but things we look at, right? So left atrial size, if their left atrium is over five centimeters, uh, if they have poor left atrial transit, Uh, If they have smoke in the left atrium, if their chat's mask is over three, right? Those kinds of guiding principles would say that that person probably needs to stay on anticoagulation. Um, I think also what kind of procedure you do matters, right? So a traditional Cox 4 maze with an RF ablation clamp, the amount of scar in the left atrium is minimal, as opposed to some of the minimally invasive procedures where you carpet bomb the entire posterior wall of the left atrium and you have, and and I do that. I you know I, I'm a surgeon who does that, right? So you have a large volume area of the posterior wall of the left atrium that's thrombogenic. That's a different atrium than somebody who's had just a, a cox four lesion set. So, I, but I think that, that, you know, for people who have, a standalone left atrial appendage clip because they had a brain bleed or a GI bleed or a nose bleed that required hospitalization and they're not getting an ablation, that those are reasonable people to take off of anticoagulation.
0: Yeah. And what is the anticoagulation that you prescribe? Is it is it warfarin or is it a NOAC or is it?
1: So we've gone to mostly NOACs uh, unless it's a, a mechanical valve. Uh, then of course we we use uh, cumin or warfarin, but for, by and large we're we've uh, adopted uh, NOACs.
3: I mean, there wasn't there, there was a big trial in, in Sweden uh, looking at uh, aspirin versus aspirin and, and a NOAC uh, for cardiac surgery with perioperative AFib, and they found that the addition of the NOAC increased bleeding without reducing thromboembolic events. So I mean, we have the Paces trial now uh, that's looking at that. And um, that, that'll hopefully give us an answer. Uh, but it, again, I, I mean, I, I don't know that we know the right answer. If someone's had one or two episodes of AFib early on post up day one or two, and then they stay in a sinus rhythm on day three and four, I generally just send them home on aspirin and Plavix. But if they have more than one or two episodes, uh, and, um, or they have persistent AFib after surgery where we just can't get them back into normal sinus rhythm, I will send them home on aspirin and eloquence.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I'd like to ask a question to the panel if I could. Has the addition of, or if you do this, addition of a posterior pericardial window change your aggressiveness of anticoagulation? Because I know that in our practice several years ago, before a lot of us widely adopted that, we were seeing... I don't want to say routine, but a fair amount of posterior pericardial windows being done or pericardiocentesis being done because of anticoagulation for post-op AFib or for valves. Uh, whereas now that we're doing windows, we're not seeing that particular problem. How about the the you guys? Are you guys doing that?
3: I haven't been doing that, but I agree with you anecdotally. As I think back over my career, I've seen a lot more patients with pericardial fusion complications than stroke complications.
2: We don't do it here either. And we, we anticoagulate pretty similar to what uh, Dr. Miller described. We, you know, if someone has, um, you know, less than an hour of AFib twice, then I don't uh, anticoagulate them. But if they, you know, if it lasts longer than that, or if it's still coming back by post, you know, post-operative day three, then I will do it for three months. And then the other issue, of course, is, you know, do you stop it at three months? Do you continue it? You know, I, I tell them it's four, three months. And and if a cardiologist asks me, then I'll say, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it can be stopped. But do we know that for sure? You know, that's also hard to answer. You know, it, it goes to the question of is postoperative AFib really its own entity or is it the, you know, the other kind of AFib rearing its ugly head? And I don't know that we know the answer to that yet.
0: And do you feel, Kelly, that the cardiologists will stop it in time if if they can?
2: Well, that, that's the million-dollar question. Um, in general, I feel like probably yes, because they're still expensive enough and patients tend to hate them that I think patients will often ask. And at least here, we're pretty close with our cardiologists. So they have no problem shooting you a text and saying, you know, is it okay to stop this? So I think they probably do. and And it's probably largely patient-driven. Um, but I don't know
0: that for sure. <laughs> so Greg, I see you that it's clear instructions are are very useful, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that having a clear communication and, and that kind of stuff is very, very key because I have lots of cardiologists or, or for that fact, internal medicine and family doctors who put people on anticoagulation and then never take them off, right? They have a CHADS-VASCO over two, that's it. They need to be on lifelong anticoagulation. I think it, it has to do with, you know, their risk profile. They're worried about stroke and surgeons are worried about bleeding.
0: That, that's often the, the the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much for joining this podcast. Um, exciting to discuss this left atrial appendage management. Uh, we will see more data coming in the coming years about you know how to treat patients that undergo cardiac surgery whether they should get routine left atrial appendage closure or not but for this moment uh, it's great that we have um, a device now that is also enabling you to do a left atrial appendage closure um, uh, minimally invasive hopefully also in the future even better Um, and so um, hopefully we will see more of these patients and we will learn more in the future so thanks very much for joining uh, for this podcast Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash Exchange to find additional podcast content.